hello and welcome to another episode of the Atlas Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Martin Kelman. Hello, Martin. Hello, Alex. Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this week uh, we're going to take a look at some clouds under the sea. Uh, we're also going to have a chat about API technology. And then later on, we've got a fascinating interview with uh, Joanne O'Brien of TM Forum. And a brand new year, completely untouched for us to spread more podcast joy. This is true. This is true. Exciting times. Uh, okay, so let's jump into it. So the first story we had is uh, something you spotted about uh, the wrap-up of a, I believe it was a Microsoft project, um, putting cloud servers in tubes under the sea. Yes, I think the kind of headline was uh, insinuating in a way that the clouds are being submerged beneath the waves type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think that this comes back to that, what what's a cloud and all these types of things because ultimately any of this is just a level of computing computer capability i think we've touched on it before um mm. so it's really yes nice nice to play around with these headline terms um but they they ultimately it's about how do we make um the the demand for computing power uh as economical and environmentally um, um, safe as possible, really. Um, and the challenges are, at the moment, you know, a lot of these computers need a lot of cooling is ultimately what it comes down to. That's it. Hey, they, they generate a lot of heat, these uh, server banks. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you cool them and where do you put them? Because ultimately, we, we, you know, we, we have great big warehouses full of data centers and there's also a level of security and um, physical and um, internet security required with these types of things there was another story in the news this week where someone um had lost their uh computer with they got their bitcoin on it did you see that one i did see that yeah and he was offering 50 million um because he thinks his bitcoins are worth 200 million but yeah it goes again that, that, that level of kind of security is a physical thing as well as a um as a as a technological thing and mm -hmm. yeah so what can you do well you can utilize the sea <laughs> which is kind yeah. of what this story story was about well uh, it's off the this off the show uh, off the coast of orkney so nice and cool there for sure yeah 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 um but we have also got the the fact that you know anything we do um Third law of thermodynamics means we're going to heat something up, mm -hmm. um, which is a, also an environmental impact. Um, but also, when you look at other technologies, all same kind of technologies, but you know, Bitcoin have been struggling with this for a while, and that's been one of the things, apart from the general adoption. I mean, it's booming at the moment again, Bitcoin. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, one big problem for Bitcoin is what they call Bitcoin mines, which are basically um, how do you um, mine the or, or you use the uh, computer power to solve the uh, um, mathematical formulas that are required to ensure that there's a a level of security or a very high level of security across the um, across the Bitcoin technology, um, mm. and therefore most of you may think of the amount of power that's required um, continuously to um, ensure that the the, the bitcoins are 
secure. Um, and therefore, what they're doing is building these um, uh, data centers up in mountains, up in China yeah. and things like that, you know. So um, it's, it, it is looking at how do we ultimately position these things and put them. You can imagine um, in the future they'll be looking like the moon for yeah. or space. I know we talked, we talked a few weeks ago about um, the chess playing computer, DeepMind, yeah. and these, and that sort of at one point was seen as calculations beyond our comprehension. But, I mean, these facilities put that, I mean, it seems minuscule by comparison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is where we're also ultimately coming to the cost of these things, you know. Um, Bitcoin's seen as a currency that doesn't cost anything. If you think about uh, the, the printing notes or printing coins, there's, there's a lot of investment that goes into making sure they can't be counterfeited um, and how long they last and et cetera, et cetera. Um, credit cards the same. You know, there's a lot of uh, background checks that have to be done on it and we get those kind of security notes when our, our buying behaviors are slightly strange mm -hmm. so none of these things even though digital technology is seen as something for free actually when you're talking about building great big server farms and sticking them in mountains or under sea and um, the amount of electricity that they consume you know that, that these are big powerful things ultimately um, and they, yeah. cost, they cost money to run and you know and add to the environmental burden that we're still struggling um, with our carbon-based generation uh, to, to resolve. So, yeah, very interconnected, these types of things. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it just shows you the demand for computing power leads on to demand in energy, ultimately. Um, yeah, I guess thinking from, from an energy, because obviously the, the point of having these places in somewhere very cold is that you can take advantage of the natural cooling um, to keep things cool. But is there any precedent for these sort of things being put where perhaps um, thermal power could be generated or something like that, so it becomes a sort of closed loop? I guess so. I don't, I don't know enough about how much energy is being produced on them. But when they did used to work on kind of gas turbine, which is, I don't know, one end of the scale um but those gas turbines were used to gen or are used to generate electricity mm. but some of them would have a secondary uh system which would be about capturing that data uh, that energy and then converting into hot water to supply hot water or heating within the buildings and that was trying to yeah utilize the secondary energy that's been produced off of it i don't know if that's the case in uh, these kind of um um these data centers but it'd be a bit more difficult to access it if it's under the water <laughs> this is true this is true might prove a less than a zero-sum game yeah but it's interesting that these things well these things are being looked into and investigated um and uh, obviously um the more energy efficient chips and things like that are being produced all the time so they don't consume as much energy um and, uh, you know, Moore's law with the storage of data and all these types of things and computing power, um, mm -hmm. meaning these things are um, incrementally advancing, um, but our, our need or our consumption of data and use of data is uh, huge and growing all the time. And especially when you need to validate that data is correct within, um, as within Bitcoins, um, uh, it's actually, yeah, huge amounts of effort goes into that. Mm. Well, I'm sure we'll be back in 
a year or two talking about the first server farm on the moon or something like that, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yep. All right, uh, let's have a chat about APIs next, I think. Okay, so let's talk APIs. Well, why not? Um, we talk a lot about APIs, but we really haven't gone into what they are and uh, some of the history behind them, really, and how they've developed. Um, mm. As many of these things, they evolve because of a need, you know, um, ultimately. So what's your uh, what's your impression of an API, Alice, before we dive into it a little bit? What's your... Uh... Well, I think what you said there is pretty important because I guess... 15 to 20 years ago, um, the lay person, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand at all what an API is. It would just be a, an acronym amongst a sea of acronyms. But now, if you even have a toe in the technical side of things, they're everywhere. Everything we use on a day-to-day -day basis, everything on our own computers, on our phones, uh, in some way will probably benefit from an API. And anytime something meets something else in technology, there is an API in the middle there now. Um, so for my part, having worked in marketing for quite a while, we use APIs a lot in reporting. So anytime you wanna see how social media is going, obviously we need those platforms to talk to reporting platforms that then talk to analysis platforms. And in between each of those steps, are these magic little bits of technology that let them talk to each other, basically. Excellent. Yeah, and that's a really good description because actually coming from a different perspective, as we talked about um, connecting things to the cloud, they're not using APIs, you know, and in the internet world, and that, that phrase that we talked about, about the what is industry for is about the adoption of internet technologies into the manufacturing space or the industrial space. The industrial space doesn't use APIs particularly. Um, no. A whole different set of protocols that are used and information, because information hasn't been that important in manufacturing. Um, so, you know, uh, it sounds like quite a bold statement, but information in the way that um, you want to have the level of interoperability and control um, and, and chatting with different systems um, is really being quite confined to the individual machine or concept. But yeah, so let's do a little bit of history of um, APIs or where it came from, if you like. I'm not going to go hugely back, but I'm going to go back to um, 1981, where we had things called the Remote Procedural Court or RSC, RPCs. Um, and something that I did in my um, university days was um, COBRA, which was the Common Object Request Broker Architecture. And at the time, I was quite taken with that, thinking about, oh, crumbs, you can get systems to talk to systems and things like this and around a novel model and things like that. And then, then um, started to stretch beyond what I'd commonly been involved with when we started to talk about soap i love these terms yeah. you know when we get to cobra <laughs> soap you know and now we now we uh, we land at rest um uh which is another type of api and and graphql and we use both of these types of technologies both rest and graphql uh, graphql in um 
our building of um, SaaS applications, basically. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, as with everything, there's a there's a reason why these things have fallen out of favor, or probably because they were originally built on um, some kind of Windows-based platform, which I think was where Cobra was trying to get away from and things like that. But sometimes they become so complicated to set up that they require more of a simple approach. And I think that's where the simple in soap came around. And then you wanted more kind of simple but powerful um, mm. the kind of rest uh, was in that domain. And where GraphQL comes in is because of the mobile technology, really, and right. the drive for efficiency, um, which is a new dimension to these types of things. And when we talk about efficiency, it really comes down to resource and battery power when we talk about mobile uh, and therefore different types of approaches um, require different levels of um, yeah management. And it's a bit like that when we talked a bit about things like OPC UA versus MQTT, um, because MQTT is more of a lightweight protocol for the IoT. Uh, and therefore, if you do have a battery-powered IoT sensor, um, it doesn't take as much power, ultimately. And similar when we talk about 5G and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, that, so that's, the, that's the big drive, is it? now is having things that are equally equally powerful but are not such a big drain on resources yeah scalable i think there so when we start to look about they've got to be simple um it's got to be standard uh scalable and there's a thing called stateless which basically means that they you know the state of the process or the resource is not tied up within the interface itself and therefore, when you design things, you've got to consider that and where, where does the state live? Um, and they've got to have um, uh, high availability and high performance. Therefore, there's this requirement for caching and these types of things that allow that. So where we talk about GraphQL a little bit, GraphQL allows more of a multiple um, consumers of that information. So if you think about mobile technology, where you've got lots and lots of end users, um, that's really quite useful kind of way of um, uh, being able to interact. So very much GraphQL was something that came out of um, development of Facebook um, mm -hmm. and that kind of scale that Facebook put into uh, front ends, so the graphical the user interface of the front end, talking to the cloud systems, if you like, or the back end systems, but you need a... A, a more powerful, lightweight way of, the, of having that kind of relationship where REST tends to be where you do more of a business-to-business -business or system-to-system -system integration. Um, it, it allows for more data to flow, for want of a better word. Um, and therefore, they're the two main main adopt. There are lots of other API standards out there, but they're the ones that we tend to um, focus on in um, and a lot of it, especially around the REST APIs, is about interoperability, being able to swap one system out with the other, but the actual API uh, remains the same. Remains the same. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a yeah, let's say a high level rundown on that. Um, but if we start to talk about things a bit more, um, they're the generally about the history of APIs and what the APIs are used for. And I think you gave some good use cases there about how it is, but um, yeah, it's it, it, in the future, um, 
in manufacturing, if you like, we need to mm. move and embrace these types of approaches. Um, and, and therefore, we're still quite based on monolithic applications and maybe even proprietary interfaces. So the classic proprietary interface uh, for businesses as well in manufacturing is the, the SAP ER, um, ERP interfaces. They use things called IDOCs and, and RFCs, which were very right. proprietary to um, uh, to yeah SAP for for, the, for for interfacing to SAP. But we notice now with things like the next version of SAP, SAP HANA, they're moving more into that kind of world of open APIs, or I wouldn't say open APIs, but more open API standards, um, uh, where we talk about the difference between what we mean by open APIs really does move us into quite an interesting area of um, interoperability, which is where we touched on with um, TM Forum, really. Mm. Um, yes, we have that uh, chat with Joanne coming up. Yeah. And yeah, I think, yeah, on your points here and on what, what we discussed with Joanne, the open API idea is not just being able to switch something out in your own uh, network, but making an API that can work horizontally across industries. So you can really um, start getting things outside of your own world connected together. Yeah, uh, and across supply chains, which is where some real efficiencies can be driven in businesses. Um, mm. and the reason why supply chains don't necessarily talk together, well, you know, there's there's commercial reasons and there's intellectual property reasons, all these type of things. But the technical reason is as big as any is just the systems were never really built to be able to speak from one to another. Um, and they may use different types of uh, yeah ways of doing that. But um, if you think about the kind of power you could have within the supply chain would be like, um, who's got this capability to do this additive manufacturing thing? Um, and then a, a, a customer could go and query that that AP, that API community of the, with that capability, and basically almost have like a, a way of bidding or, a, or an open marketplace for these types of computer to computer discussions about can you make this thing within this time for this price, and the API could reply with that kind of capability, saying yes, we can do it here and there, there. and that's what we talk that kind of robot process automation really, mm. um, making things communicate in the way that humans necessarily would to drive business decisions ultimately and that's why that open standards become so important and there are some really great examples of open standards and we'll put some of these links in in, in. but um there's one called the open bank banking standard um which was really trying to break that that stranglehold of of both the banking industry and the proprietary systems within it and say, actually, if we want to have a flexible, um, more uh, interoperable, um, adaptable banking industry, we've got to have a set of open APIs, which allows for systems to talk together and customers to feel that their um, their data is controlled and, and um, uh, and is their own, you know, because this is coming onto the whole, personalized data ownership as well, um, mm. identity and all these types of things. Um, so yeah, the open bank, banking standard was really one of the first. There's some around um, open uh, smart cities and things like this. Um, but there's also open standards now being developed for the, you know, the carbon neutral world around energy mm. and things like this that 
um, you think of the power of those types of things that we can start to really take environmental data um, and government data, because government also bought into this whole open data approach. Um, we'll start to bring things together. And one thing, just to touch on the value of data, Mm -hmm. So some people talk about data being the new oil, um, but data is, isn't really analogous to oil. It's, it's more data isn't a, isn't a finite resource, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. And it's the more, the more you share it, the more it grows. And I think we have discussed previously um, certain industries have traditionally been very inward looking and that's, uh, that does hamper, um, progress in many ways yep. so these sort of technologies really do help i mean they're sort of they they enable exponential growth and exponential progress because you can start putting that i mean data from very disparate areas to use yeah uh, globally exactly and the, the value is in the connections of data in the same way as on social media platforms the the value is in the how many followers and connections people have um, and it's not about isolating data. So one thing also that the um, Open Data Institute, the ODI, promote is that data spectrum. So taking into account the data can be um, closed or required sharing in a controlled way or being open. Um, and it's making businesses think more in that frame of mind, not saying everything has to be closed. Well, what do we want to share with the supply chain in a controlled way? What do we want to be open so we can promote ourselves. Um, and the Ordnance Survey is a good example of that. Um, we won't dive into it here, but it's a, it's a good example of where um, they've published open data and they've actually gained from the value of the data and can people using it, you know, creating services off the back of the data as well. So, yeah, it's a big area. As always, we, 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 we touch on it, but... Um, leave people to go and have a bit of an explore um, and we yes. can even get on to things like um, um, how how APIs are documented using um, things like Swagger or uh, how they're tested using things like Postman and all these types of things but yeah there's a whole other world of, um, uh, of the ecosystem and tools built around APIs to make them far more um, supportable, adaptable, documented, tested, etc. Mm. I think as with a lot of the stuff we talk about, we're going to have to come back in future episodes and do a specific area of it. But that was a, a fascinating overview for sure. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it's given people a lot of food for thought. Excellent. Good stuff. So here we are in the interview portion of the Atlas podcast. Uh, Martin and I are joined by Joanne O'Brien of TM Forum. If you'd like to say a bit about yourself, Joanne. Hi, my Joanne O'Brien. I am the Vice President of Digital Ecosystems at TM Forum and look forward to talk to you today. Fantastic. Excellent. Um, yeah, so, Joanne, we've been working together a bit on the, um, on, on the uh, 5GM project. I think we first met. Uh, at TWI during the early stages of that and for us it was quite intriguing to be working with a, a company like yourselves but how did you first get involved with um, this type of work and technology what's a bit about your background okay well I've been working technology quite a long time um, 
So I started out, I did com uh, computer programming uh, at the Technical Institute in, in Cork initially, and then went on and did a full degree in information technology uh, through DCU in Dublin. Um, but my, I, I worked in, in many areas of technology. At one point I was working in Apple in um, initially in manufacturing, but then in the R&D side of things, worked on the uh, first OSs and the first iMac products. I would have been a lead engineer on one of the first iMac products. Um, then I moved oh, wow. into uh, telecommunications and I worked really at each layer of the telecommunications architecture, starting at the mobile exchange at the um, at the network layer and then moved into the IT layer, which is, you know, the operations management. So literally kind of moved up the stack and um, and also managed uh, to kind of spend a good bit of time in technical roles and also in 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 management roles, depending on, on, on various circumstances at the time. Uh, so really managed to pick up a big blend of technical and business and the need to be able to blend and make critical business decisions and not always be purist about technology, even though you really want to be. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I, I learned that along the way and I thought that was that was quite a useful thing to learn. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. but cool. then moved into TM Forum from, from there and have you know been involved with the industry standard side of things from there. That's quite that's quite a journey, Rick, because um you know the programming side of things as you described is I, I find quite unusual when we're talking at a business level to actually have people that have really gone through, if you like, the apprenticeship of programming and understanding, having a deep knowledge of these types of things. Um, <clears throat> um, sometimes you kind of get the feeling that that, that that goes over their head. How do, you, how do you feel about programming now when you look back? Do you still think you could um, rustle up a program if needed or does it feel... Yeah, and I certainly good? spend a lot of time reading code rather than necessarily writing it um so it would be kind of analyzing it in our sector it's not that unusual you would have very very senior people who are very technical and i think that became more true in recent years so if i'm back say 10 years ago it's true that the top layer of management would have had no literally almost no um, hands-on experience whereas today i would say that has been a complete inverse that's quite mm. that's quite refreshing i wouldn't like to say necessarily it's the same in the more manufacturing space but um i think it's a it's a great great to know that that's the situation and how, how when you went from to give you a flavor to that, right? When you guys turn up at the TM Forum event uh, next year and you demonstrate, you know, there will be tours of, of of very senior people, board members from our member companies, and you need to be ready with quite detailed. It's it it won't be a superficial conversation. I <laughs> you can't fluff your way through it. You've got to know your stuff. Yeah, but well, I, you know, I quite I quite like that because sometimes I find it that, that that's a comfort zone for me when we're talking. Um, uh, when when you have these kind of conferences, uh, I thought I struggle more with the small talk than <laughs> we can start talking technical. Then I, I feel a bit more comfortable. But then telecoms is not naturally or natively our our um, area either. Coming from more of a manufacturing. Um, uh, domain so that's what I love about these kind of collaboration innovation projects is that you get to see different perspectives um, and different industries really and I think that's where 5G is 
really quite fascinating because it does bring together people from different um, yeah industries, walks of life, because we are trying to merge tele- telecom industry type standards with short floor systems in this way. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, telecoms isn't isn't a vertical industry in the same way as other industries. It really mm. is a horizontal enabling infrastructural industry. And that's why we have these initiatives where we work cross industry and bring the industries together. So we've had similar and very successful initiatives in the smart city space and also in healthcare and in finance. So it's not unique. It's it's really an important part of the digital transformation of all verticals that we embrace and bring in the um, ICT aspects. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's something I think has really like opened our eyes up because when we talk about industry form, we talk talk about the adoption of um, internet technologies into the industrial domain. I think people don't quite, you know, until you really get involved with what we mean by internet technologies and why the industrial domain doesn't have those technologies as such, um, then you really get an appreciation of where where the where the adoption of those things can really benefit manufacturing. And I think um, and yeah. some of that is around some of the standards, around the API uh, standards that um, you guys have been promoting. So maybe, yeah, maybe to tell us a little bit more about TM Forum and um, what role TM Forum does play, because you, you touched on it there, but um, it's quite a fascinating. Yeah, uh, we're not a company, like I suppose is the first thing to say. We're a not-for-profit organization industry association is what we call ourselves um so we um in a way right we met at a twi event and and that was where the synergy came from so i like to build relationships with organizations like ourselves in other industries and twi kind of represented or mirrored us in some respects and that they brought the industry together in the manufacturing space built a lot of best practices um, did a lot of testing and one-off projects, ensured drove quality into the industry. Um, and we that's what we do in the telecommunications space. All our members are essentially every single communications operator on the planet, or almost all of them, plus all of the their suppliers and their whole community. So we bring that whole ecosystem together. And as part of the core of the work of Team Forum, we design and build uh, best practices together, but we also build more normative standards in the area of open APIs and um, data models and things like that. Mm. So it, it's a mixture, a blend of best practice things are, that could be done better versus things that are more normative. And in the more normative space, then I would work with, say, the likes of ITUT to actually ratify these as formal standards. Yeah, and then that's one of the things that's really interested us is both, both the um, um, framework from from a point of view of process um, alignment, uh, but also that that open API standard because it's something that um, you know when we had a technical chat about it, there's there's our group who are used to looking at these type of things with a bit of a GitHub view of the world and saying you know where you can kind of measure the popularity of um, software or interfaces as a part of that. And then they, you know, we present them something like the open API standards that you you guys have uh, developed and published. Um, they're kind of slightly skeptical going, well, yeah, this is it on GitHub? Have I got that, you know, how, how do I know that this is being used by the industry and this that, and the other? But the more we working together on it and the more we understand what you guys are up to, the more we're kind of going, yeah, this is, 
this is really what's needed to be able to break down some of those barriers of adoption of these types of technologies. Um, and we're, you know, re really uh, uh, moving forward with that kind of open or based around yeah. your uh, your standards, the open API standards. It's, uh, it's a very... add some flavor to that, right? So the, mm. the APIs are are like the raw code is in GitHub, of, co uh, of course. Um, and there is a whole community of uh, engineers that design, develop and build these APIs. So we started that work back in 2013. Um, and just you kind of need to understand the history of Team Forum in order to understand why this was the right thing to do at that point. Our core assets were all around operations management, defining standardized uh, process definitions, um, harmonizing the language across the industry, standardized information models and things like that. Um, but we we felt all that was still, that was too static and not really, we needed a way to kind of automate all of this. Mm. And much of my engineering experience had been in interfaces or integration, I suppose, um, at the time. And we we started, we were fascinated on this, this the, the, the point of integration or the point of interoperability um, as a mechanism to really automate a lot of the intelligence that we had built up over 20, 30 years before that as an organization. So we started initially actually with web service interfaces and after about a year went, no, that's not the way to go. And really redesigned from scratch again, based on the REST um, Richardson model. And we've proved, we've worked, you know, our, our concept was to detelcoize these APIs, right? It was, it isn't, it isn't about using TM Forum's telco APIs. These are uh, service agnostic, technology agnostic APIs from the get-go and proven as such, like initially to even prove the concept to our own leadership inside TM Forum back in 2013, myself and Pierre Gauthier, who was the chief API architect who worked with me on this project all the way through, um, we ran a hackathon in San Francisco. It was a very bold move um, to prove that the APIs could be used in any different context, brought in a whole uh, teams of uh, you know young engineers from the local universities and that, um, and there was about 100 of them there, big hackathon, ran over whole weekend, and they used the APIs, they could use the APIs. So this was a, a fascinating new step for us to modernize what we were doing, bring it into the modern, bring it into the, the new era of, of, of innovation, um, and really thinking about how you can accelerate innovation through standardized interfaces. Mm. And, it, and yeah, and it really works. And that's the thing, when we started to dive into those, we're thinking, when, why is telecom APIs going to be relevant for us? But actually, like you said, they are just business APIs, really, aren't they? I mean, yeah. um, they're not specific around telecom at all, and uh, um, they're stuff that businesses need from a from a driving their business forward. And that, and I, I like that concept of the hackathon because you can. It just shows you with open API standards and things like that, you can produce so much in so little time, can you, by connecting them up and building them in a way and creating a workflow against them or whatever. Um, you can really start producing yeah, value very quickly. Um, and if yeah. they're interoperable, um, even better, as in, yeah, can we swap this out for that? Or uh, and Yeah, still and that's really where it evolved too then is that, we think about your know, componentized architecture as the essential 
um, framework for flexibility. And in a constantly changing environment, flexibility, we believe, is king. You need mm -hmm. to be able to um, have an architecture that can cater for the business needs of the future, even those that you can't yet even imagine. So that's why modular architecture is exposed through APIs is, is the way to go. Um, and then everything becomes business decisions rather than technology holding back the business side. Mm, exactly. Have you had any uh, blockers or, or, you know, I'm sure you have, but what, what are the kind of major blockers you've had? Because obviously certain it's people like... Where, where a team is really heavily invested in a proprietary interface mm. and they've gone, okay, but we've spent all our money on this. What you What can be done is like we see it as a journey it's not an overnight thing you're never going to spend a huge amount of money just to abide by the interfaces but what we recommend is that you wrap in the interfaces as you are doing projects then each each effort you're actually saving money as you go so it's not a burden a cost burden on the business it becomes net value with every single project so mm -hmm. as you design your r d roadmaps you go okay we're going to pull these in in this project we're going to pull these in the next project and they these become part of your standardized library of of assets inside your business so the amount of that our common industry grows over time and the amount that is bespoke reduces over time that's excellent um i'm just looking at the uh, uh, time here so it'd be really good to uh, really good chat um but what what's what's next i think was uh you know we obviously we've got the uh 5gm project that we're plowing ahead with and really excited about but what's what's next for you and what's next for tm forum yeah so in the 5gm project we'll be harmonizing data models and applying some of the apis on the northbound interface up from the um iot sensors with yourselves i ats um and um, beyond that, really, what we're looking at. So the couple of the big projects I have inside TM Forum are around the area of what we call connectivity as a service and zero touch partnering. So when we there is an interesting question came up as part of the 5G project, and it was, well, how do we know when to use 5G versus Wi-Fi versus whatever for a given service? The, a uh, project we're working on called Connectivity as a Service is the ability to essentially remove that as a, uh, a complexity that is required by the enterprise on a given need, that they can predefine the parameters of optimization of the different types of uh, connectivity to be used for different types of services. So a service that definitely always needs 5G can pre be predefined as a priority capability. So we're defining the set of interfaces that will be deployed right across the telecommunications industry so that there's an exposure of connectivity through a standard set of APIs. It becomes much easier then for the enterprise to plug and play connectivity into their services as they go along. Excellent. Anything new, there, Alex, because you always... Uh... Like a little question at the end there. I don't know if you've got Oh, uh, I, what I was, something I was curious on, and it's probably an extension to this is obviously, as you said at the beginning, you, you, you're in a very horizontal space. Mm -hmm. Is there any industry that you haven't worked with or had an effect on yet that you think you could or would uh, like to? Well, I think we're still in the early days of, um, of, of, of that approach. So we're still, 
it's more a case of going deeper with the ones that we select to go rather than trying to spread ourselves too thin. As a not-for-profit, we're incredibly resource constrained. Um, so we've prioritized uh, manufacturing and healthcare at the moment. We do, um, so with autonomous cars, I have a, another kind of smaller kind of level beef type project, if you will, and the same with the finance industry. Um, but we haven't ramped those up in the same way that we're working with you guys in manufacturing and with healthcare, working with, you know, global health, digital transformation organizations, including, say, um, the new digital health initiative of World Health Organization. Very exciting. Fascinating yeah. stuff, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, really great to chat to you, uh, Joanne. And um, uh, I look forward to... Uh, Think we got a meeting later today i don't know if you're on it but um yeah <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you guys and thanks for the opportunity to share a bit more about uh what we're doing together so that we can kind of build you know more momentum around the initiative and um as well as the concepts you know it's it's it can be new concepts to to reuse from different industries so you, you know the welcoming and um the way you know you've approached this has been very helpful from our perspective and delighted that we, you know it, we've built such a great relationship for to carry this forward excellent fantastic great to hear and yeah thank you so much for joining us joanne and uh we look forward to speaking with you again very soon take care thanks a lot if you're looking for more information on the world of atlas or if you have any questions at all please head on over to weareatlas.com and let us know your thoughts